themes and I don't know why, but Paul always starts with the hard stuff first and then moves on into the easier stuff. But, but he loved this church. And the Philippian church was born out of suffering because Paul and Silas went there and they had a clairvoyant following them around everywhere that they went. And she kept, I guess, speaking out, you know, you are blessed of the Most High God. And she just nagged and she walked around behind Paul and Silas for three or four days. And in the end, Paul just turned around to her and rebuked the demonic spirit. And so she lost her power. She lost her demonic power and her owners had been making great money out of her. And suddenly they lost their income. So they were in an uproar and they dragged Paul and Silas to the magistrate and, and had them put in prison. And we know that in prison they were praising God. After Paul was flogged, he was chained and Paul and Silas were singing and the building shook, the jail doors opened, the chains fell off and the jailer thought that he was going to be killed because all the prisoners had run free, but they didn't, they stayed. And as a result of that suffering and persecution, the jailer and all his household were saved. And so I guess the Philippian church saw what happened to Paul and Silas So they were under no illusions that to follow Christ was going to cost them and they could suffer greatly. And yet we know from Paul's relationship with this church that he he loved them and they loved him. And they supported him as a missionary. And when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, they even sent um, one of their congregation to be with Paul and to nurture him and watch over him. So there was great affection between Paul and this group of people. And when he writes to them, you really hear that love. And he exhorts them. He doesn't chastise them. He exhorts them to go on to greatness. And he does it in such a beautiful way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you, my God, every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insights so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far for me, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What incredible words from a man who's in chains, writing to a group of people who obviously are very distraught by the fact that Paul is in chains, and yet his words come through with great depth, don't they? Just incredible words considering the situation that he's in. And I guess that's really one of the marks of the true church. And often today you hear people when they share their testimony, they say, oh, you know, since I've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, my, my life has just been so wonderful. It's all my life, like it's like a bed of roses. All my problems have gone away. And, and I have trouble reconciling those sort of testimonies with walking in relationship with Christ because I think they're counter-contrary. I don't think that Jesus makes your life rosy. I think he takes you on a journey of great adversity and hardship and suffering in order that we can say what Paul said, that we're suffering on behalf of Christ. And I think in the Western culture, particularly our our salesmanship of the gospel has been watered down to the point where we try and convince people that their lives will be better for following Christ. It's not going to be better. It's going to be harder and it's going to be tougher. And the Philippians knew that because they saw what happened to Paul and Silas and the church was birthed out of that adversity. And so they knew from the beginning beginning it was going to be tough. And yet they allowed that suffering and that persecution and that hardship not to adversely affect them. They came through the hardship and they got on top of that hardship and it changed them. So the message of Jesus and Paul was that the Christian life is not an exemption from troubles and hardship. We, we, we don't get a pass from Jesus that, 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 that says that we're free from the struggles of this world. We don't. In fact, we're going to suffer more and we're going to struggle more because we are 
Christ-like. That's what Jesus promised us. Let me show you. Blessed are you when men reproach you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And that was Paul's ministry as well. Then Paul returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. He said we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So we need to understand that following Christ is not a bed of roses. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be loss. But with the right attitude and the right outlook on life, we cannot just, I guess, suffer that. We can conquer that. And we can rise above our circumstances and situations like Paul did when he was riding in chains. He could see that God was working in that situation for the betterment of the gospel, for the betterment of the people around him. And he even said, in my own life, God is growing me, even though I'm in chains. And I will rejoice, he said. Now, now I have a melancholic personality. Any of you have done um, personality tests? I'm an introvert and I'm a melancholic person. So when I get sick and I suffer, it's the end of the world. I don't suffer well. I find it very difficult to find joy in the midst of hardship because of the way that God's wired me up. It's not a natural thing for me. In fact, it's very easy to, for me to get into a very dark, deep place and just just wallow in pity. But the Christian attitude is not to allow that to happen. That's the natural response, but the spiritual response is to see it differently and allow God to be at work in that. So this is what Paul says towards the end of that chapter. For it has been granted to you, to Mark, to Pali, to any one of us, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. That's a very different gospel message, isn't it? Than a, than a positive thinking sort of gospel. And we need to understand that suffering is normal for Christians. It is normal. If you go to Kurong, you can get books on suffering. And, and I guess the theme of the book will be, why are you suffering? What are you doing wrong to be suffering? Somehow you don't have enough faith or your outlook on life is not, enough, is not positive enough. But it's almost like as a Christian, you need to learn to eliminate suffering. I'm sorry, that's just not the gospel. We don't eliminate suffering, we get on top of the suffering. And the New Testament Christians rejoiced in the fact that they were suffering, they embraced it. They went, thank you, Lord, that I'm suffering. Thank you, Lord, that I'm in this hard situation. Thank you, God, that you've chosen me worthy to suffer. That's not a modern proclamation, is it, from the pulpit? But it's the true gospel. And it's and suffering is greater from, for Christians. Like we live in a fallen world. There's many of you here that have suffered from, from you know, cancer. You've suffered from, you know, all sorts of loss and hardship and horrible things have happened to you. We don't get an exemption card for that. Sometimes God can step into those situations and miracles will occur and God will take it away. But it won't always happen. 
It just won't. We live in a fallen world, and that's just part of life. We are, because we're part of the world, we're mixed in with everybody, but we are not of the world. There is a difference, and because we're not of this world, because we're separate, we're in, our citizenship is in heaven, therefore we're, we're social misfits in our society. I reckon there's some of you that have made it very obvious in your workplace that you are believers, that you have a faith in Christ, and you've become the conscience in that workplace. You haven't laughed at the dirty jokes. You've somehow um, communicated to the people in your workplace that you're different, and you're probably on the receiving end of a lot of, you know, snide remarks or, you know, people will know you're different, and you will suffer because of that. And if you don't believe that we're going to suffer in this nation, it's coming. It's coming fast and it's coming hard. Because we're going to have to make a stand and say, no, we don't believe in gay marriage. And we're going to have to be a voice to this nation. And you're not going to be popular when you start to do that. We've got away with it because the moral standard of this country hasn't been too bad, but it's on the, on the drain pipe now. And if we're going to stand up and say no, or this is what we believe because of Christ, then more and more we were going to be ostracized and more and more we were going to be hated. And Jesus said, you're going to be. If you represent me, then you're going to be a target. And so I think when we talk about suffering for Christians, you get a double dose. But if we stay in that place of fear and dismay and despair, it'll, it'll take us down. But we don't need to stay there. We can learn to rejoice in our situations because suffering is actually good for us. I hate preaching sermons like this because God always takes you through hardship and you know, Lord, if I preach this, something's going to come. You're going to teach me hardship. I can honestly say I've been blessed to have a life where I haven't had great loss and I haven't had to deal with great hardship in my life and I don't know why. And yet I look at other people and I see the, the circumstance that God has put them through and, and the situations and I see the way that they've come through it and out the other side and I go, God, I, I don't know if I would. I don't know if I'd come out with that character. I don't know if I'd come out with the integrity that I see in a lot of you. I just don't know. And I don't think you really do know until you walk that dark valley whether you're going to, how you're going to come out, how quickly you're going to come out. But when I look at Paul and I see that he was chained and I hear his heart come out, I think, Lord, I've got a long way to go. But I want to be like him. I want to be able to, in the midst of that, that opposition or the midst of that hardship, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's where we need to get to. And, 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 this is what Paul says. He doesn't just say, oh, this suffering's good for me. He goes, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. He's actually asking God, take me into a deeper place with you. And that's what suffering does for you. But there's two conditions to suffering. It glorifies God and it edifies us as believers only if it's undeserved. Like if I embezzle money from my workplace and end up in jail, I can't go, oh, I'm suffering for Christ. <laughs> Okay, you can't, you can't look at it that way. But, but Paul's punishment, his imprisonment, he was unjustly put in prison in Caesarea and Rome. He was held without a trial for four years. They had no right to hold him. And so he could have been a very bitter, angry man because the legal system of the time didn't serve his purposes. 
but he didn't. He used it to his advantage. And much of, many of you have suffered undeservedly. But in that hard place, God is at work. He really is at work. But the other condition is that suffering is good for Christians only if we overcome. If we just accept our suffering and say, well, you know, this is my lot in life, this is my plight, and sort of carry it as a heavy burden, then we haven't won the victory. And those two conditions are really important because God wants us to be more than conquerors. He wants us to overcome. It's trying to find the ways that we do that that's hard. So Paul was was really in a place that could have bred a lot of despondency. He could have been resentful. He could have been depressed. He could have gone, it's unfair. You know, one of the things I like about listening to little kids is that they learn that statement really very quickly. You don't have to teach them, do you? It's unfair, Mum. You gave Caleb one, but you didn't give me the same one. And we, we, it's unfair. It's unfair. Sometimes life is unfair. Why did I get my lot in life? Why was I born in Australia? Why was I born in a free nation? And you look at other people's lives and you think of the suffering and the hardship and you think, why, God? Sometimes there's not real clear answers. Sometimes it's not easy to fathom this subject. You know, the world says that to rejoice in a situation like Paul was in is actually hypocrisy. Like it's a, he was probably falsely trying to bolster his spirits and his emotions and pretending that he was in a good place when he really wasn't. I don't think that's true. I think spiritually he had learnt to find a place of rejoicing in God despite the situation around him. That's not a natural response, that's a spiritual response because in your flesh, your flesh would cry out and go, no, that's not fair. Lord, woe is me. It's not fair that I'm in chains. It's not fair that the legal system hasn't worked. It's not fair, it's not fair, and we're just going to get into a dark place. But what Paul did is said, Lord, what do you want to do with me because I'm here? What possibilities are there? What are you teaching me? How should I respond? And we can see that Paul really learned from his situations. You see, I think some people think that all things work together for good. I think people believe that in any situation, God's going to change that situation and eliminate the problem. I don't think that's biblical. I think the biblical situation is that God will work in that difficult situation for your good. It doesn't mean he'll take the situation away. The cancer may not be eliminated. You may have to deal with a very horrific disease, but in the midst of that disease and that hardship, God is working. And the way that he works is he he strengthens your character. He grows your faith. He teaches you not to be angry. He teaches you not to fight for your rights. He teaches you to surrender. And they're not easy lessons for any of us to learn. This is what happened for Paul. He had good reason to rejoice. He could have said, no, I'm in change. This is a horrible situation. But he rejoiced because he said, no, you've got to listen to me. This is a good situation. I'm chained to Roman soldiers, three of them a day, eight hours a day, every day. And he said, 
This is the guy that said to the Corinthian church, no, I pray in tongues more than all of you. Can you imagine being chained to Paul for eight hours a day? (laughs) He would drive you nuts. And he said in this passage that the whole praetorium guard was talking about the fact that he was chained for Christ. That's 9,000 men that were being affected by the fact that he was chained to one guy at a time and he wore them down, quoted scripture to them, prayed over them, had words of knowledge for them. You can imagine that those guys were chatting away. I don't want to be chained to Paul again. (laughs) Why? Well, he keeps talking about God and how good God is. How can he talk about God? He's in chains. And so, so that his contagious love for God started to spread and the whole Praetorian Guard was coming to know Christ because of his situation that he was in. He turned it around. He could see that God was doing good. He then goes on to say, it's good that I'm in chains because the, all the Christians in Rome have been stirred up because I'm in chains and they're proclaiming the gospel even more greatly than they ever have before without fear. So not only was he affecting the Roman guard, he was affecting the whole Christian community in Rome and they were going, well, if Paul can get over this, we should preach the gospel even more. Let's get out there. So he could see that God was at work. He was aware that people were preaching for all sorts of false motives. People were coming and visiting, saying, oh, people are trying to take your place, Paul. They're, they're, you know, they've got all the wrong motives. And he just said, well, who cares? I don't care what their motive is. Look at the fruit. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are coming to know the saving power of God. And he turned that whole situation around. And he said, look, God's even working deep in me. Even though I can see externally what's happened, internally God is at work in me. And you know something? This whole thing just magnifies Christ. He gets the glory. He gets the glory in all of this. You know, I think for Paul, I mean, he was a he was a fairly young man. Like, he didn't want to die. Like, he wasn't old and tired. He wasn't 47 like me, and his body was felt like he was a 90-year-old. Like, he was a, a vigorous man with his whole life in front of him. And when you look death in the eyes at that age, it's a totally different thing to being in a wheelchair at 90 and going, look, I want to go home, I'm tired. He had his whole life in front of him. And yet he was sitting waiting for a verdict that probably meant he was going to be beheaded. And yet his attitude was still good. And I think, like when, in a natural sense, you'd just want to preserve yourself, wouldn't you? Look, I'll, I'll just deny my faith. How do I get out of this situation? But he didn't. He stayed true to God. And in a supernatural sense, he faced death. And this is how I know that he did it supernaturally because if you read his response to the Philippians, he said, look, I'm eager to go. I'm eager to go and I know that benefits me because if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. That's the best lot I can get. But he said, I know it's better for me to stay because if I stay in in my body, there'll be more ministry to do and you guys will get the benefit of that. I'm eager to go, but I'm willing to stay. Isn't that the greatest Christian response? Lord, I'm eager to go. I'm ready to go now. But I'm willing to stay if my life can be profitable, if there can be more fruit from my life. And he said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Either way, (laughs) it's a win. If I keep living, I can lead more people to Christ. I can influence more people's lives. But if I die, I get more. So he wasn't in a bad place at all. And he said, for 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. don't know if you've ever heard of this man. His name's Paul Schneider. He was the first Protestant pastor to be executed by the Nazis. He has the most amazing testimony. A number of those men that stood up against Hitler and his regime had amazing testimonies, but this man was no ordinary man. He was not particularly a great theologian, preacher or evangelist. No one would have heard of him but for the fact that he resisted the Nazi wickedness and died in a concentration camp. He was a man of integrity. He stood for what he believed. Other more brilliant men found reasons for cooperating with the Nazis, but Paul Snyder could not betray himself. When one of his fellow prisoners stood beneath his window and pleaded with him to save himself and think of his wife and children, he got a straight answer. I know why I am here. He only had to sign a piece of paper promising to give up the care of his church and he would be allowed to go free. The officers would goad him at every camp roll, sign and go free. In the torment of the prison house, it took the grace of God to make that stand. In the spring of 1938, there was an order that all the prisoners passing the Nazi flag should take off their caps. Snyder declared that this saluting of the Nazi flag was idolatry and he refused to obey the order. He was given 25 lashes and put in a dark cell. He remained in solitary confinement till his death. He received repeated heavy tortures and pains, but they could not break him. Morning and evening, whenever his cell door was open and he was taken out for fresh torment, he could be heard shouting aloud to all who could hear words of comfort and judgment from the Bible. The story goes on to say that the prisoners began to beg him to stop sharing about Christ because every time he used to speak out, they'd come and beat him. And they could hear the cries of pain. And yet every time he had an opportunity, he kept preaching. That's a man who learned what it was to suffer for Christ. And I think in our lives, there's going to be those times. There's going to be those seasons where we are going to go through hardship and adversity. But God is going to give us grace. And he's going to give us hope. And I don't think we can ever judge what it's like to walk in another person's shoes. We really can't. But we can listen. We can encourage. We can exhort. We can be a listening ear. We can journey with one another in those deep, dark times. And we can hold other people's hands. And we can never let sight of the fact that God is greater than any of our circumstances. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Even though we've had marriages that have crumbled, God has never forsaken you. Even though you've lost parents, mothers and fathers who you love dearly, God has never forsaken you. Even though your body can sometimes be suffering incredible pain, God's never failed you. He's never left you. He's always been with you. He never fails. He'll always be there. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the journey that you've had each of us go on in our life. And 
Lord, we can look back and we can see many hills and valleys. We can see many hard times that we've been through. And Lord, I guess this side of those hard times, we can see that you grew us and transformed us, even though it was a difficult time. And Father, no one, I guess, really wishes suffering upon them. But Lord, I praise you that in this life, we can learn to be overcomers. That like Paul, we can count it a privilege to suffer for Christ. Like Paul, we can, we can turn those situations into an advantage. Your advantage to your glory, to your honour. That our voice can resonate with hope. Then our hearts can be flooded with a sense of peace because you are the God of all comfort. Lord, yet you haven't finished with us yet. You want us to be just like you, one who suffered so much injustice. Lord, you didn't say to your father, look, I'm not going to go through with this. You said, Lord, if it's your will, then let it be done. And you suffered an incredible death and you did it with grace. You did it with dignity. You did it with love. You did it with forgiveness in your heart. Father, help us in our hard, dark times not to wallow in misery, not to be overcome with despair, but to be like Paul and say, teach me to rejoice, Lord. Teach me to count my blessings. Teach me to see what you're doing in the midst of this trial and tribulation. Help me to consider it pure joy that I would be tested and tried and troubled. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. Many of them, I know, Lord, have gone through very tough times and there's been seasons in their life where it would have been so much easier just to turn away from God, to be bitter and angry. I thank you, Father, that their hearts resonated with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that the cry of their heart was, Lord, meet me, empower me, comfort me, grow me, Lord, help me to change my attitude and make it Christ-like. Help me, Lord, not to be angry but to be at peace. Father, your word says to give thanks in all circumstances and, Lord, I want to thank you for those tough times. I want to thank you, Lord, that there's always a door that we can walk through for victory in every situation. Lord, always lead us to that place of victory. You make a banquet for us in the midst of our enemies. Praise you that you're a God who understands suffering. Praise you, Lord, that you're a God who understands what it's like to walk through deep valleys to be persecuted, to be rejected, to be lonely, to suffer physically, emotionally and spiritually. Lord, you know it. You've been there more than any of us. Thank you, Lord, that we can just cry out and say, Lord, be with me. Help me to be strong. Help me to have eyes of faith. Help me to be courageous. Help me to lift my eyes, to lift my voice 
to lift my heart. Lord, suffering is the mark of the true church. Lord, I believe the time's coming in our nation where we're going to suffer for our faith. Lord, would you prepare us? Would you strengthen us as a Christian community here locally, but nationwide, Lord God, that that when the tough times come and the winds blow, Lord, we'll, we'll stand strong. That you will have refined us to the point, Lord God, that, that we will understand what it means to stay true, what it means to be a man and woman of Christian integrity. Father, I want to ask for your blessing over each one here today, Lord. I'm sure there's many that are still going through tough times even today. That their hearts are heavy. It's a difficult season. Lord, would you minister to them, Holy Spirit? Would you speak words of life into their situation? Would you comfort them only as you can? And Lord, as a body... Would you help us to be sensitive and aware and in tune when others are hurting? Not to dismiss that hurt quickly, but to listen, to embrace them, to encourage them, to exhort them, to nurture them, to stand alongside them, Lord. Father, I thank you for the friendships that we have in this church and the, and the bonds that we have, Lord God, that we're not alone. We're not alone because you are with us, but we're not alone because we're needed together in unity. Father, I praise you that we can come. We can come at any time, anywhere, and cast our burdens onto you because you care. You're a God who cares. And I praise you. In Jesus' name. I wonder if you would just put your arm on the person next to you. Put your hand around their shoulder. And just pray for them. Don't have to pray out loud. You can pray quietly, but just encourage them.